The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Good to share the table with you this Sunday morning. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. A very happy July 4th weekend to you, whether you're out on the road this weekend or celebrating at home. We hope you're having a happy, healthy, and delicious holiday. Good morning to you, Lana. Good morning. This is radio's answer to culinary conversation and inspiration, and we're all about the culture of food and living the best life. We're celebrating delicious dishes this morning and their ability to feed your soul, so stay tuned and set your culinary sights higher. We're always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com, where you'll find... Uh, recipes galore, cocktail inspiration videos, and more. And we hope that your July 4th weekend was full of grilling and chilling. We're loving heating up the grates all summer long. But with the heat that we've been having in Southern California, we need to cool down as well. So we thought we would kick off this show with our technique of the week, hoping to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. And thinking, too, that everything having to do with fabulous food for us is a celebration. July is National Ice Cream Month. And if you didn't know, Americans actually eat over 27 pounds of frozen dairy treats every year. Lana, are you filling your quota with the natural, uh, the national obsession, I call it, mm-hmm. of ice cream? Mm-hmm. It was actually officially recognized in 1984. And I love the idea of making an just indulging in ice cream desserts in a less traditional way. Although for those that don't know, um, Lana makes the best ice cream anywhere. Um, But I put out some ideas for a twist on the classic cone. So since we all scream for ice cream, here are my best suggestions for frozen chilled desserts throughout the summer season. You can always treat your kids to an ice cream activity by teaching them how to make ice cream in a bag. It seems very magical, but it's really simple science. And you can do it with a pint-sized bag and a gallon-sized resealable plastic bag. And the secret is just in adding salt, like uh, rock salt preferably, uh, into the larger bag over ice and then making a simple custard that's never heated and putting one small bag inside the other and then shaking hand it to the kids and about 10 minutes later they can shake it pretty hard to create an ice cream Um, and it's really fun and I think a fabulous way to create uh, you know a a culinary creation Mm -hmm. by hand there's also a round plastic ball yes uh, that the middle of it is a cylinder that you put the ice cream into and you put ice around the edges and you just have the kids push it back and forth. Yeah, it's like an ice cream soccer them. ball, right? Yeah, just yeah. kick it around. It's a great gadget it to have. It takes 15, 20 minutes, yeah, and you get fun. some ice cream. It's great fun. How about making individual baked Alaskas at home? Uh, it's really an impressive treat, but it's so simple. You can prepare the Alaskas entirely ahead of time. All you do is do a layer of pound cake and then ice cream on the top. And by the way, 
you want to thaw your ice cream for even spreading. And then you make a simple meringue where you beat egg whites with a pinch of cream of tartar and salt and some sugar. And you cover the ice cream flavor, uh, ice cream layers rather, uh, the flavors you choose with a thick layer of the meringue. And then you place them in the freezer. And then when you're ready to serve, when you're ready to party, you can remove the Alaskas from the freezer itself and broil for a couple of minutes or even use a blowtorch just to finish the meringue. I think it's a really impressive dessert for company. Mm -hmm. And then last but not least, how about an ice cream cocktail? Okay, I'm in. Raising my hand in the radio studio. Um, There's nothing better to me than a couple scoops of chocolate ice cream with an ounce of chocolate syrup, an ounce of coffee liqueur, an ounce of creme de cacao, I will go on, and a splash of vodka, mm. and blend it until smooth. That is a grown-up milkshake, and I think it tastes best from a chilled, classic milkshake glass. You need a big dollop of freshly whipped cream, you need a maraschino cherry, and you need a couple straws. Mm. That's very important. Sounds good. Then we also posted some classic ice cream by the scoop flavor combos at chefjamie.com. And if you would, Lana, share your best tips for ice cream, because as I mentioned, there's no doubt um, you've mastered it. No, you have to think outside the box. Outside the cone? Yeah. Outside the cup? (laughs) Or the cup, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I love candy ginger ice cream. Adding ginger is wonderful. And then... um, uh, hatch chili season is coming up, and Melissa's Very sells soon. a hatch chili powder. And uh, I usually make ancho chocolate ice cream. And for a month or two, I also make hatch chili That's chocolate ice cream. I use it's that hatch chili powder on everything, by the way. It sits by the stove, as you know, at my mm-hmm. house. And it just adds a really fabulous flavor all year long. We are hatch chili lovers. Yes. I can't wait to taste hatch chili ice cream this summer. Oh, it's going to be great. And black cherry ice cream. Uh, you That's... know, it's always wonderful. And then white chocolate lavender. Childhood memory on yeah. the black cherry. Mm-hmm. White chocolate lavender, very nouveau. Yeah, yeah. very easy to buy the lavender and uh, in the bottle. Right. Um, I think Spice Island sells it. Mm-hmm. And put and infuse it in the milk mixture. Right, so you just steep it in the milk when you're making the custard, mm-hmm. right? There's lots of wonderful things you can steep in milk. Um, and by the way, one of them is the Cook with Lana recipe of the week, and it's posted at chefjamie.com. And it's all about buttered popcorn, mm-hmm. right? Yes, that's an awfully good one. Yeah, and you're, by the way, seeing it as all the rage in restaurants, and we have mm-hmm. friends that have duplicated the recipe, but you were the first to do it. You take buttered popcorn and soak it um, in the milk as well, right? Yes, and you create the flavor. Start today for tomorrow. Start today for tomorrow. Yeah, but you have that's to uh, get your custard cold yes. overnight, so uh, it's best to do it today for tomorrow or today uh, and tomorrow for next weekend again, whenever. Or any day for any day for ice cream. Yes, yes. So you know. For the rest of the year. (laughs) Every other day Uh for the remainder of 2013. Very important. Do not forget, uh, and what I do year-round, is keep the canister from the ice cream machine in your freezer at all times. Yeah, because then it's a quick go-to. Even if you want to make a no-cook ice cream. Like we have a no-cook coffee ice cream recipe on the website that you could whip together in in literally mm-hmm. minutes. And if the canister was cold already, you could have ice cream 35 minutes from now, five minutes to put it together, 30 minutes to churn. Sounds like a really good breakfast yes. to me. Yeah. So keep yeah. it in the freezer at all times. <laughs> and I love milk and I love ice cream and I love cereal yes. and Momofuku milk bar started this cereal craze yeah, this in is, uh, ice cream. Cereal but milk ice cream. They call I have it, right? discovered in yes. my research, a, 
uh, cereal milk taste that you can caramelize cornflakes and get a deeper flavor. Okay, that's genius. It, it really is. Absolute genius. And you toss crushed cornflakes with milk powder, sugar, salt, and melted butter, and you bake it on a cookie sheet in the oven until it's a deep golden color. Okay, and then my question is, do you really have to make ice cream, or can we just eat it off the baking uh, yes, sheet? Yes, you can. Because that but... sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, you want to drink all the milk, but you cannot do that, but you're making ice cream out of it. Exactly. So That's true. throw that caramel, the caramelized cornflakes into your milk for an hour or two and let it sit and then press it out and don't taste it because you'll drink the whole thing. Right. So you squeeze the cereal of its mm -hmm. milk and then you make the ice cream with the cereal milk. Right. That, and then by the way, just got cool. better mm -hmm. from the caramelization. A couple of things about the refrigerator when it comes to ice cream, which might not sound sensical, but truly is. Mm -hmm. You do need to chill the custard very well before you attempt to churn ice cream. You'll get a better texture from the ice cream. Mm -hmm. Plus, you'll get a quicker cool. And this rule applies to we make a lot of ice cream pies because I grew up with you making ice cream pies. Yes. And it's a great thing to do if you have a little bit of ice cream of a few different flavors left in the freezer. Mm -hmm. But one of the tricks that you taught me that I love is that ice cream thaws better in the fridge yes. than it does on the counter. So for like the baked Alaska recipe mm -hmm. that I mentioned or for any ice cream pie that you're going to create layers of flavor with, take the ice cream and put it in the refrigerator for 30 minutes, mm -hmm. then take it out, and mm -hmm. you say stir it with the wooden spoon. Yes. There's something mm -hmm. creamy and luscious about how it comes together. It mm -hmm. doesn't separate like the watery part of the ice cream to mm -hmm. the icy part. It comes together beautifully. It spreads well. And then if you're making an ice cream pie, like I was thinking black cherry almond ice cream pie with mm. Sambuca chocolate sauce. Mm, now will nice. you come to my house? Oh, yes. Okay, good. Okay, and you, then you'll come back to mine yeah. for uh, my ice cream pie. Favorite one is chocolate wafer crust with chocolate malt ice cream and a chocolate ganache topping. There you go. That's okay. a nice one. I'm in. So. And by the way, if you're going to make layers of ice cream flavors, you need to freeze in between from one flavor to another so that you get a smooth spread. Right. And if, if you want uh, the cereal uh, milk, uh, the caramelized corn flake, shall I say, recipe, yes. right to live at chefjamie.com. Exactly. Email us, please, directly <laughs> live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com. Here's to your next frozen treat. Be sure to save us some. We want to hear all about it. Recipes galore for not only a no-cook coffee ice cream, but a roasted pineapple ice cream, which mm. is one of my favorites, too, <laughs> with the sweet summer pineapple. Um, speaking of cool and refreshing, I am a sangria lover. I happen to love the Spanish fruit-based wine drink or also known as a punch that I think is really perfect for summertime. It has a bit of tart to sweet and in case you're wondering, I think the best kind of sangria is a slushy kind. So imagine if like a Slurpee and sangria got together. I've posted the recipe for a sangria slush at chefjamie.com. It's all the delicious fruitiness of your favorite sangria in combined with the frosty summertime buzz of a frozen margarita. You won't believe how easy it is. The secret is frozen fruit. So if you have frozen berries or you've gotten, uh, let's say, beautiful sweet nectarines like I mm -hmm. did from Melissa's <clears throat> this week, you could cube them and then freeze them, lay them out as we call IQF, individually quick frozen, on a cookie sheet and let them freeze, then throw them into a bag. Then you have frozen fruit at hand anytime in your freezer. And you combine um, a fruity white wine. You 
could use a Viognier, a Sauvignon Blanc, any Spanish white will work well here because of the Spanish inspiration of sangria, along with the fruit and the juice of a lime and a splash of triple sec. Mm. And you could do it with berries. You could do it with frozen white peaches. Oh, I like nice. to throw in a little citrus liqueur nice. there. That, that recipe would make a great sorbet as well. Ooh, it wouldn't it? By the way, we did fire up the grill this July 4th weekend, and we tested a recipe for honey-glazed grilled carrots, and we're going to be posting it on the site soon. But talk about the best glazed carrots you've ever had. You know, the traditional honey. You could use orange juice, butter, a little bit of chopped dill. But grill the carrots first if you want smoking fabulous flavor the baby carrots in assorted colors yeah. is really a nice thing to throw on a grill i thought that was so delicious i can't even tell you um speaking of delicious there's an event coming up in orange county california that you're invited to and we want you to know that you can uncork for hope it's the first annual uncork for hope fundraiser and it's going on sunday july 28th from 2 to 5 p.m hosted by boys town california board members buy your tickets today you can taste some of the rarest wines in the world there's some beautiful hors d'oeuvres being served as well and you can find more information at boystown.org it's really a unique wine tasting event for wine lovers and it will help uh, keep families together and help parents succeed and we are all for that it's called the uncork for hope event and it's coming up july 28th and there'll be a link at chefjamie.com we also hope that you'll come cruise with us if you're looking for a regal experience there's still time to book your cabin on board the Marina cruise ship. We are cruising with Oceana once again this year, and I'll be cooking on board in the private Bon Appetit Culinary Center, where you will have your own cooking station to cook along. It is all about inspired cuisine and enriching destinations and passionate service. We are Oceana lovers. They've been rated the best food of any cruise line by Condé Nast Traveler. And we are traveling the Baltics coming up September 3rd, and we hope you'll come join us. Cabins start at $4,300 per person, and there's still space available. Food and Wine Trails is our partner there. You can go to foodandwinetrails.com or chefjamie.com. And please stay with us, because there's a whole delicious hour of conversation coming up Steve Peck the winemaker for J-Lore sharing some summer sips plus we're celebrating Bastille Day with chefs Amelia and Florent Morneau of Marche Modern Restaurant and our resident pastry chef Abby Dodge is sweetening up our summer stay tuned with dessert conversation wine knowledge galore and truly the best seafood stew you've ever had Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio we'll be right back a bottle of red, a bottle of white. It all depends upon your appetite. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. We have a taste for life, so step right up and fill your glass. This is the Cork Report. It was about three decades ago that the Central Coast was relatively unknown in the world of California wines. And it has since emerged as one of North America's world-class wine-growing regions. As the red winemaker for J. Lore Vineyards and Wine, Steve Peck combines his beautifully gifted palate, his passion for viticulture, and an incredibly comprehensive technical background of winemaking practices to produce some of the best red wines and white, of course, from J. Lore that are planted on the Central Coast. There is no doubt that this is untapped potential. And the beauty of J. Lore Vineyards and Wines, in my 
sommelier opinion is the consistency of these beautiful vines, the gorgeous wines that they produce, and the value that J-Lore offers you to drink the very best. Steve joins us live, and we're delighted to have him in your radio. Good day to you, Steve. Good day, Jamie, <laughs> Lana. We're very glad to have you, and we're J-Lore fans, as you know. And one of the things that I do love about your wines is I think that they are beautifully blended. And from a winemaker's perspective, I know that you have a true philosophy about the style of the wines. But they're easily accessible. They're easy drinking. And they're what I call year-round wines, Steve. You can always find something wonderful to drink from j Lore. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. Definitely so. Give us a little bit of background, if you would, and that philosophy of yours when it comes to wine. Because you have a very serious biotechnology background, but it's taken you to really glorious places. Yeah, I do kind of come from more of a technical or academic approach to my winemaking, but I think, you know, for the red wines that I'm responsible for, I think you can sum it up in that I always try to make sure J-Lore red wines are dense, soft, mm. and never green. Particularly, you know, greenness is, is a, a character that, that um, can show up here and there, particularly in the Bordeaux blends produced in California, and it's something that we feel we kind of have a leg up on. We're using some of the most advanced technical methods to kind of keep those green flavors at bay and really push the blue fruits and black fruit characters of Cabernet and and the other wines that we produce. I love how you talk wine. If you would, because you're the distinct expert here, I'd love for you to, to define those words. For those that are getting to know wine or even that are wine connoisseurs or aficionados, what is the definition of dense to you when it comes to a red wine characteristic? I think when you're dense, when you're enjoying a glass of wine, it's a wine that's dark in color, that when it hits your palate, it's very rich and mouth-filling and soft and not watery per se. From an analytical point of view, it means that it's rich in anthocyanin, which is the pigment molecules that are present in the skins of the grape. Okay, now you're just getting techie on us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that chemistry, and there's a lot of chemistry that goes in to the beauty of winemaking, but there's, a, I think, a majority and a tremendous amount of richness, of course, that comes from the terroir. And I wondered if you would share with us how you see the Central Coast and the terroir really having such an extraordinary influence on more and more wonderful wines coming out of the region. Working and being partnered with Jerry Lohr, um, you know, he's really a pioneer for the Central Coast region, sure. um, particularly in Monterey County and Royal Seco, where he did his initial plantings in 1972. And that's where our Chardonnay, Pinot Noir are still grown today. Back then, he actually planted Cabernet Sauvignon as well, and it didn't take him long to figure out that it was much too cool to really properly ripen Cabernet. So he moved about 50 miles south to the Paso Robles region, and he's really been a great steward of wine growing here in Paso Robles. And we've really learned to craft the terroir of Paso Robles Cabernet in particular over the last uh, three decades. Now, you certainly have. And let's start with the Reds because they're your babies. I'd like to talk about the current vintage available from j because you are producing world-class Reds. I am a Pinot Noir girl, Steve. I don't know if you knew that about me. (laughs) I believe in Pinot Noir paradise. I believe that the moment you fire up the barbecue, you should be opening a bottle of Pinot Noir. They go hand in hand. And congratulations to you because I have loved drinking its two bottles now. I'm not so proud that I wouldn't tell you. 
you. That's good. Yeah, the 2011 J. Lore Fogg's Reach Pinot Noir, I think, is an exceptional vintage. I agree with you there. We're producing uh, three different Pinot Noirs now at J. Lore, a our Monterey County release, which is called Falcon's Perch. Mm-hmm. The Fogg's Reach Pinot Noir that were, you mentioned, which is a Royal Seco Appalachian. And the third one's actually called Highlands Bench from the San Lucia Highlands. In 11 in particular, it was the Fog's Reach that really stood out in the cellar. I mean, it was obvious uh, as the wines fermented dry and just in the press pan that we had something special in 2011 for Fog's Reach Pinot Noir. When you opened this bottle of the Fog's Reach Pinot Noir, I thought, Lana, what was most incredible for us is the flavor profile, first and foremost. But the color is gorgeously jewel-like. Mm. I mean, it's perfect Pinot Beautiful. Noir. And I thought it was interesting, too, Steve. You have a very distinct and um, sort of exotic pairing when it comes to Pinot Noir. Do you have a, ch- a thing for chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> Not especially, but I know where you're leading, and I just think the most amazing thing about food and wine is you just got to try things that you may not anticipate being fantastic pairings. Okay, so you tasted a chili-infused chocolate that I'm going to actually have to get my hands on, and it was a perfect pairing to your Pinot Noir. Well, Lint has a line of chocolates called Excellence, and it's really their top tier, their super premium chocolate. And so we started looking at trying to pair some of our wines with some of their chocolates, and we just thought, oh, there's nothing that's going to go with a chili-infused chocolate. But when I put that together with Pinot Noir, and particularly the Fog Street Pinot Noir, there's just something about the spices that really resonates. Mm, I love that idea. See, Pinot Noir, breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. Mm. Okay, lunch, dinner, yeah. dessert, <laughs> maybe. Um, talk to us about the 2010 J. Lore Hilltop Cabernet Sauvignon, please. This is your recently released and newest vintage of Cab. And by the way, um, Lana is a, a Cabernet lover. So Great. We, we could talk for the next 20 minutes. Love Cabs. The only problem with this 2010 Hilltop Cab is there's just not enough of it to go around, mm-hmm. honestly. 2010 was the coolest vintage in California in over a decade. There were two cold years in 98 and 99 that were really difficult in California, but 2010 came along and was really cool. Fortunately, in Paso Robles, we had a really nice weather in October, and we picked those grapes for Hilltop on the 27th and 28th of October and just got this great kind of blue fruit, black plum character in the wine. We pair that wine with 60% of new French oak barrels, uh, lay it down for a year and a half in, in our barrel room, and we've released it earlier this year. And the 2010 just seems to be hitting it out of the park. I've been getting a lot of good feedback on on that vintage. Well-deserved. How long do you think that we should lay it down for? Well, you know, I'm in an interesting situation here with the 10. It's one of these vintages where, compared to the 9, the 9 is actually going to have a greater aging index and really a wine that lays down a little longer. And I would say that we should be drinking the 10s a little bit earlier, which in our case for Hilltop, I mean, you could go 10 years with this wine, but I like to capture more of the fruit characteristics 
um, when I drink the wines, and so I'm thinking in the next, you know, say three years. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking you should come over for a barbecue, and we could <laughs> gladly open one tonight. With just a couple minutes left with you, Steve, and we know we have to let you back out into the vineyards. There is a white wine, I know not under your portfolio, but of course, since you represent J-Lor here, a Sauvignon Blanc, the Flume Crossing 2012, that I have to tell you, I think is one of the best pairings I have ever had with an oyster. Thank you very much. Yeah, the 2012, it's our first release of this wine. Um, the winemaker behind it is actually my boss, Jeff Meyer, who's been with Jerry Lore for, I think, 28 years now. Yes, and you're uh, in good company. Jeff's been on this radio show. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of scary. Jeff's been at it for so long, and he's only two years older than I am. So uh, You do remind him of that often, don't you? Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Okay, good. Uh, um, but, you know, he just really struck a great balance of this sort of grassy character, melon. The wine's crisp but still soft and we uh, kind of took a little risk we put it under screw cap we think that it's the right thing for the wine that it helps preserve the freshness we just think it's the right package for the product and we think that we have a consumer clientele out there that'll recognize that we're doing what's best for what is in the bottle of wine. I think you're doing incredible Mm. things for Cab and Pinot Noir. And I will say from a food lover's perspective, this Sauvignon Blanc is a breath of fresh air. Mm. Because of that melon profile, it is extremely food friendly. Will you come Mm. back, Steve, and spend more time with us another time? We'd love to have you. Yeah, of course I would. It's it's a real pleasure. Well, thank you. It would be our pleasure. I love your inquisitive, very intuitive style. And thank you for bringing us great wines. Steve Peck is the gentleman, the winemaker, that handles the full portfolio of J-Lore Red Wines, including J-Lore Estates, the J-Lore Vineyard Series, and the J-Lore Cuvée Series, as well as Red Wines for Cypress Vineyards and Cross Point as well. You can find J-Lore Wines at every respectable wine store uh, and grocery near you. And you should know, too, that one of the things I commend J-Lore on is their effort to really respect and nurture the ecological balance of their vineyards. They are sustainable. Mm -hmm. They practice wine conservation. uh, Excuse me. They practice water conservation. Wine conservation, that's an important one, too. Uh, Natural weed and pest management, composting, and um, really incredible solar power. And the Jaylor family is still at the helm, too. Steve, it's always a pleasure, and we look forward to talking with you soon. uh, Cheers to you. I love talking to you. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Lana. Bye. As the delicious conversation continues, stay tuned. We just might make you thirsty for more. There's more after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, bringing you the best culinary thinkers on this show. We do have a favorite restaurant. Marché Moderne translates as Modern Market, and it perfectly describes the cuisine at the cosmopolitan French bistro that is located on the penthouse level of South Coast Plaza. The chefs and owners are Florent and Amelia Morneau, and they are dear friends and incredible talents, and they bring strong French recipes together with modern American cuisine. But it's the classical approach that I love the most. And if you want to experience the sights and the sounds and the flavors of France, if you want to thrive on 
French joie de vivre, then you will celebrate Bastille Day with the Morneaux. Bastille Day is the French national holiday that celebrates independence and freedom. And you can join in on the celebration because at Marche Moderne, Boulia Bays is back nightly, coming up from July 11th to July 18th. And it is not to be missed. Chef Florent Murnau and pastry chef Amelia Murnau join us live to dish on Bastille Day to invite you to their second home, really, the restaurant, and to hopefully ignite your passion for bouillabaisse at home. We're very glad to have you both back on. Good day to you. Hello, Jimmy. Allez. Good morning. Bonjour. Bonjour. Bonjour, Lana. Ah oui, merci. Florent, give a little bit of background, because you're not f- from the actual region where bouillabaisse was created, but it's been one of the most beautiful dishes I think ever mastered um, in, in your restaurant and one that you've spent a, a lot of time with. Yeah, well, um, you know, to give you a little background, I'm from uh, a town called Fontainebleau. Uh, which is actually an hour and a half southeast of Paris in every region, very close to Champagne there, the Champagne region. And, um, and the Bouillabaisse has been, uh, it's been many years of, um, of trying to perfect it <laughs> by popular demand. And uh, we started about, uh, what, 2008, Amelia? Yes. On, on the Bouillabaisse. And um, I think people relate to the Bouillabaisse because of, of the trips they took there, you know, in the south of France. Memories, and, and I think uh, it's why year after year we keep bringing it back. And it's one of the most wonderfully classic dishes. And when you say the memories, it's very memorable. You're making it this year, as you do every year, all the fish being flown in from the south of France. So what can we expect in the bowl? The fish is coming about twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And then we're going to bring wonderful fish from the south of France. Rouget, the little red fish that's very famous. Uh, Saint-Pierre, which is John Dory. We're going to bring also uh, Dorad Gris. We have also uh, a little calamari called Sesh or Sepia. That's probably one of the most tender calamari you'll ever have. It's, it's amazing, uh, amazing calamari from the south of France as well. Mm. Scallops and octopus, uh, some mussels, some clams, a little mm. shrimp. And then we're going to put uh, uh, some vegetables as well, like uh, fennel, potatoes, uh, roasted tomatoes. And then we ma- we're making the famous rouille. Uh, which is a, uh, a potato base uh, mayonnaise. My favorite part. Yeah, that's yes. my that's, that's my nice. favorite part too, <laughs> Amelia. I think that rouille, and and by the way, spelled R O U I L L E, and can be mm-hmm. easily made at home. Oh yeah. Because it is very much a mayonnaise base, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, a little potato, a little mashed potatoes in there, a little saffron. Tons of garlic. That's the French secret, is the saffron mm. infusion, but in the very traditional French style. Florent, you put, like, mashed potato or pureed potato. No, you boil maybe one potato, and then you, you quarter it, and then you kind of mash it with the garlic and a saffron you know, to, in, a, in a mortar. And then you can mount that, that mixture with a little olive oil and, and garlic and season it. Some people, even French, serve it broken. It doesn't have to be emulsified. But um, it's, it's an amazing uh, uh, sauce that you add to the broth to, to make it like, you know, it, it just goes so well together. It makes it really rich. Yeah, it, it does. It adds a tremendous depth of flavor. And then, That's Amelia, right. I don't know about you, but I savor the crouton 
yes. that's usually spread generously with the rui. Yes. And then <laughs> any leftover rui becomes the greatest sandwich spread you've ever had. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's true. It's true. If we are to make bouillabaisse at home, Florent, to have a Bastille Day celebration at home, inspire us. So you mean if Amelia would make it at home? <laughs> yes, if Amelia should make it at home. She, she, she would probably make an Italian version of it. So no, you of don't want to go there. <laughs> but is, is she the cook in your home? She, she does about 90% of the, of the cooking. I'd I, say 95. 95? <laughs> <laughs> would anyone like to bid for 96%? <laughs> well, Florent, what if Lana or I were making it, or any of our listeners across the country, they, they wanted to, to try to master a bouillabaisse. Suggest to us, if you would, some of the fish that we find easily accessible and how to create that rich broth? Any tips or techniques? Yeah, I think I think the key is you got to use rockfish, you know, like a, like red snapper, and you cannot use freshwater fish, obviously, but you have to use this fish, that deep water fish, you know. Yes. Red snapper, any flaky fish that's not too strong, not too, you know iodized. I say. I yes. I don't know the right name for that. Very very salty, very uh, very uh, great flavor, very rich and sweet. Uh, Fish. Yeah, some of the hardier fish, definitely yeah. so, right? Like if if you can find rock cod, like you said, exactly. red rock cod, snapper. You can find Saint Pierre. You can find John Dory here. John and, uh, Dory. John Dory is good for that. It brings a little luxury to the dish. I mean, yes. in, in the old days, they were not using Saint Pierre or John Dory because they would get more money for the fish, I guess. But these days, you can put Saint Pierre in it, John Dory or Rascas. But for the for the American version, yeah, black sea bass. Nice. And for you the know. broth, chef. You basically can use the whole fish, and but the key is not to leave the fish too long in the broth because the broth will get bitter if you leave the bones too long. Some people have tendency to leave the bones too long to think the flavor will be better. Mm. It's actually the opposite. I leave only the bones of the fish, you know, simmering for not more than one hour, mm. ah, and then okay. and, and then you strain it and reduce the reduce it. You have to reduce it, reduce it, reduce it. Reduce and then it, I usually work it. on the, on the flavor of the of the bouillabaisse by reducing it a lot. What do you usually add for no? Yeah, we have Verno or, or Ricard, you know, the famous liquor from France that you can have as an aperitif. Yes. Before bouillabaisse, while you're playing uh, pétanque, you know, outside. You know, uh, <laughs> After the bouillabaisse, a few that's days. That's the fantasy life in France. That's right. Life, yeah. <laughs> I love the flavor of Pernod. I think it is one of the most beautiful compliments to seafood and shellfish. Yeah, and amazing. And it adds an incredible flavor. And I think, you know, the, the secret, and you heard it here first, is definitely the reduction of the fish stock, as yeah. Chef spoke about. It's really mm-hmm. about compounding those flavors. Exactly. By the way, we've posted some inspiration at chefjamie.com. It is not Florent's exact recipe, but one that you can use as a guideline and add Chef's suggestions and tips so that you can create the ultimate bouillabaisse. But the best way to have bouillabaisse is to go there. Yeah, is to go to Marche, of course. No and doubt. Do you know why? Because the meal ends with something luxuriously Beautifully mm. sweet from Amelia. Amelia, what is the dessert for the Le Jour de la Bastille? I have these fresh summer peaches that are amazing right mm. now. So yes. I'm doing 
an almond gâteau with the fresh peaches, and then I'm serving with a praline gelato. It's like a creamy, silky praline gelato. It is the perfect finish. You have the refreshing peach with the cake, and then move on to the ice cream all together with the creme chantilly. It's Mm. the perfect finish to his bouillabaisse. How lovely. Sounds gorgeous. With Madeline on the side. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Are you baking Madeline's? Because if you are, Lana's going to get up from the radio Uh studio right now and come over. I'm hanging out outside. (laughs) Perfect. I'll get some ready. Okay. There is, I think, one of the most beautiful French sweets that comes out of Amelia's Kitchen, and you've heard us speak about the Madeleines here before. Are you making coconut-inspired Madeleines? I am. Right now, that is very popular, and since I'm in the Hawaiian coconut mode, I'm still <laughs> doing that, and uh, who knows what I'll be doing uh, <laughs> in another month, maybe pistachio Madeleines or oh. <laughs> moving on to mm. something else. Lana, she said pistachio. I'll be over a lot. I know. Uh, Laurent, would you pair for us the perfect French wine that you might sit in Marseille and drink bouillabaisse with? Well, every year we're going to go to the same direction. You have to go with the rosé. That's nice what I was chill, thinking. Yes. Nice chill rosé. This year we're doing a by the glass at Chateau Saint-Martin. Yes. A Grand Reserve uh, that you can purchase by the glass. Or uh, we're going to also bring uh, other selection like a Bandol rosé, a little more high-end. Uh, a wonderful wines to go with bouillabaisse. The rosé is really the perfect counterpart because it yeah. has enough beautiful fruitiness to stand up to the richness of the bouillabaisse, but it has a subtlety to it, and it's, it's certainly a compliment for sure. Mm. And even we could start with sparkling rosé for the black olive tepanade and the roasted mm. bell pepper and eggplant caviar that you're starting. And then we could move into the drier rosé for the bouillabaisse, and then we could go to an even sweeter side That's for right. Amelia's <laughs> dessert. Mm-hmm. Everyone should have a few bottles of rosé this summer in their <laughs> refrigerator. <laughs> yes, yes, per sitting, by the way, exactly. for, for sure. Uh, we look forward to joining you for bouillabaisse, and we thank you both very much for sharing your passion uh, and for celebrating by Bastille Day. I think it's always wonderful to bring new traditions and ideas and celebrations and culinary inspiration into all of our homes and our families. And we thank you for welcoming us into your family every time we sit in the restaurant. Thank you for having us. Yes, of course. You have a a nice Bastille Day also. Yes, and the same to both of you. Every July for the week of Bastille Day, executive chef and owner Florent Murnau, along with his wife and pastry chef Amelia Murnau, prepare the authentic Provençal bouillabaisse with fresh fish flown in a couple of times that week from Marseille. Of course, Marche Moderne is the top-rated restaurant in Orange County, California. And next time you visit, or should you have the privilege of living here, you know not to miss it. Bastille Day is celebrated on July 14th, and we hope that you sit back, relax, and enjoy the joie de vivre. There is more delicious conversation in your radio, guaranteed to make you hungry right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Don't go away. Welcome back. You can learn all the right moves from my kitchen to yours just by tuning in every Sunday 
you'll find us here in your radio, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, with seasonal inspiration and ideas on how to eat from farm to fork. And seeing that it is a sweet summer so far, we are delighted to once again have our resident pastry chef, Abby Dodge, back. And in your radio, she is the widely respected baking expert and cookbook author, food writer, instructor, and she studied at Paris's La Varenne. Her most recent cookbook is one of our favorites called Mini Treats and Handheld Sweets. And she's joining us to share her best summer sweets. We've posted them so that you can follow along, print them out, and steal the recipes at chefjamie.com. We're glad to have you. Happy Sunday, Abby. Happy Sunday, ladies. Hello. And delighted to be with you. Well, thank you. We're glad to have you back. Tell us how sweet your summer is so far. Oh, it's so sweet and wonderful. <laughs> Tell us, you've been, I know cooking and baking with a lot of citrus because you were lemon inspired and I believe that the strawberries you're getting are as sweet and luscious as ours you know what we have had an excellent excellent summer strawberry season Mm -hmm. it's just coming to the end of the season here you know in the pick your owns here on the uh, north in the northeast so so we're we're taking advantage of those last breaths of delicious sweet strawberries so start there, if you would, because I love this recipe that you shared for a balsamic glazed strawberry. I love the flavor profile of balsamic, and I happen to be a very tart palate, as you know. So vinegar or agrodolce, even more specifically, the sweet and tart combination in the Italian style is right up my alley. So balsamic glazed strawberries, mm. that's just a luscious combination. Well, it, it is, and it really, this, this recipe, as you say, like anything that you're you're pairing wonderful, really sweet balsamic. It in, in itself is a sweet, salty, savory balance that we all love. Um, and this little recipe is sounds little, and it is simple to make. It's just a few, very few ingredients, a little granulated sugar, a little butter, some fresh strawberries, although moving into blueberries and raspberries, you could easily substitute those and some balsamic, and it's sautéed up quickly in a skillet just to loosen and release the juices from the berries, reduce down that balsamic vinegar so it gets nice and syrupy and glisteny, and there you go. And you have the basis of so many wonderful recipes to to use this little recipe with. It's also great over ice cream. I love to put that over as ice cream. as the picture that I mm-hmm. sent you. I am yes. particularly fond of pistachio ice cream. I know oh. you guys have been talking oh. about pistachios yes, because today. My and favorite. You, and you've been twittering about pistachio ice cream for Lana uh-huh. with balsamic glazed strawberries. By the way, on Twitter, you can become a baking expert just by following at Abby Dodge. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I almost literally licked the computer screen, Abby, (laughs) when the photo came through. Because that combination, Mm. the pistachio ice cream with the balsamic glazed strawberries, that's a winner. Well, you know, and again, it it goes to show that, especially in summer, dessert from scratch doesn't have to be complicated. And the flavor profiles don't need to be, you know, outlandish or horribly unique. They just need to be solid and based in really strong, wonderful flavors. That's very true. I was thinking, too, that we could totally turn strawberry shortcake on its head upside down. We could grill some pound cake 
outside on the barbecue. Top it with your balsamic glazed strawberries. Do a big dollop of either creme fraiche or mascarpone whipped cream and call it the new summer strawberry shortcake. Mm. I love that. Does that sound good? How about if we do a chocolate, a cocoa whipped cream? Oh, okay. Now like we have to come more. to your house. <laughs> you ladies are always welcome oh. here at my house. Thank you. Only, more savory. Only if you're making smooth and zesty lemon tart. Now oh. I love this. Is a first of all the your crust recipe, I think is fabulous, and I'd love for you to talk about it and define it. And then who doesn't love fresh summer lemon pie? You know, and again, it's it it it's a tart, a sweet tart filling. Um, very easy to put together, but the crust specifically, I, I developed this recipe for this crust. It's a press-in crust a few years back because we know that so many people have what I refer to, and we've talked about it, pie anxiety. They mm-hmm. worry about rolling out a crust. It seems too complicated. They worry about it cracking and all of this. So for this tart and for whatever you want to fill this tart with, um, use this Press in crust. You basically make a sweet uh, French pat sucre, a sweet pastry dough. It, I use a food processor because it comes together in just a snap. Yeah, like like thirty seconds, mm. literally. Oh, yeah, and exactly. it is a it's and a again, pie crust. It's exactly. But a press in pie pie and crust. Then you right. Just take tablespoons mm. of the dough of this soft, supple, supple, crumbly dough that's already been made, and you just press it in to your, your little tart pan, your tart pan with the removable bottom kind. And it's just so, it's just that easy. See, and I think that's genius. Mm-hmm. I really it's, do. It's so unintimidating. And the, <laughs> this is such a which word. is so great, yes. And the only thing you have to wait for is either an hour in the fridge, as Abby mentions in the recipe, mm-hmm. or shortcut it 30 minutes in the freezer. And the pie dough has set up again, essentially, because like any butter-based dough, you want to bake from cold, right, Abby? You get a better flake, a better texture. Yes, and um, because we're going to be blind baking this, meaning that we're going to cook it um, before we fill it and then bake the filling. We want to make sure that it's nice and firm. The crust, the dough is nice and nice and firm so that the butter doesn't melt out. And fill the crust, that hard crust, with foil and and pie weights. I use a combination of old dried beans Mm -hmm. and old dry risotto rice, any kind of rice. Um, How smart idea. And then just bake it all the way through in the oven. Remove the the foil along with those beans. Pour in this super easy to make uh, filling, which is just whisked together Mm -hmm. eggs with some lemon juice. I put in I put in a couple of tablespoons of heavy cream into this into this filling. What does it do? I was going to ask. Yeah, what I love is how it keeps the acidity and the sharpness from those lemons. But it just takes it down a notch. It kind like of mellows that, that mm. flavor out That's across smart. your palate. I like that. Oh, that I cr- love it. It adds a sense of creaminess. Okay, this is what I'm making for mm. dessert tonight. Mm. Abby, I'm going to send you a pick. Oh, yes, I do. I've got zesty lemon tart on my menu. We're going to a friend's house tonight for uh, dinner, and I am going to bring your zesty lemon tart, and I am going to Facebook and Twitter from the dinner party, and I am going to give you full and complete credit for all of your genius desserts that we love that you share, and we thank you, as always. We know there are great things coming up on your blog. You can find Abby at abbydodge.com and bake together, the name of the blog as well. Learn more, follow her on Twitter, and 
stand on Facebook and become a true sweets connoisseur. Abby, until next month, thank you for making our summer just that much sweeter. Always my pleasure, ladies. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. And as we come to our last bite, we thank you for listening and hope you'll continue this delicious conversation with us. Sit down at the table next Sunday right here in your radio. We always like to leave you with a last bite. And so today's last bite is a no-bake date square. Just two ingredients, fresh, soft, medjool dates pulsated in the food processor with organic oats come together press it into a glass pan and chill it until it's firm then cut it into squares and you have a two ingredient no bake date square that is a healthy snack a perfect breakfast a great afternoon sweet for the kids but totally healthy and be sure to join us next Sunday when we have more healthy fabulous and indulgent tips as well we're going to be sharing the new Melissa's Hatch Chili Cookbook with Chef Ida Rodriguez Plus, the Barefoot Contessa, known and loved from the Food Network, Ina Garten, will be here. Plus, more sweet inspiration from Sally Camacho. She's the pastry chef for the Jonathan Club, and she's up to glorious things with peaches. Just wait till you hear. We'll see you at ChefJamie.com in the interim so that you can find really good, feel-good recipes to make summer last all so very long that's what we're all about is just the sweet heat of summer and continuing with our fabulous food we thank you for listening i'm chef jamie gwen along with lana signing off we hope you continue to eat well the preceding program has been brought to you by taste bud entertainment